The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service, nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, everyone. Hi, I'm Jeff Tom. I am chair of the ACB Advocacy Steering Committee, and I'm really excited to introduce our... I'm sorry? Our first Adventures in Advocacy steering, uh, Adventures in Advocacy call, sorry. Um, and I'm going to introduce my co-committee members that are on with me, my, our little subcommittee that are going to produce these shows in the future. Um, but first, I, I just want to say that what we intend to do is have another one of these next month the last weekend in december we don't want to go do it in thanksgiving week so the last tuesday which is november 28th and because the reason for this call is we really want to show all the great advocacy efforts that our state's special interests and even local chapters are doing throughout the country advocacy is more important in my mind than any other purpose that this organization has. And we want to show what's going on out there by with our chapters and affiliates. And what better way to do that than to have a community call where people will tell their own stories. So I want to introduce uh, first Chris Bell, who is uh, working with me on this project. And secondly... Hi, Chris. And secondly, tonight's uh, facilitator, who will introduce our speaker, Sheila Styron. So, Sheila, take it away. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you, committee. I'm really excited about this because, as many of you on this call, advocacy is my heart, my soul, and I'm so pleased to be able to introduce our very first presenter for our new quarterly call, um, and her name is Robin Wallen. She is chair of the Transportation Committee in MCB. Robin is a grandmother, a mother. She has grandchildren. She has had lots of interesting jobs. Her dream job was for TWA, and she lost that job because of transportation issues. And that is probably the core um, of, of her desire to do so much advocacy. Believe me, she's done a lot. She has been a member of MCB and ACB for a really long time. And, um, and I just lost my place. <laughs> um, so she's, um, she's, she's been the, in this, in these groups for many, many years and since like the mid nineties. And she came from NFB, but she felt like she had more of a voice here in ACB and Robin likes to use her voice and does it very well. And she felt this, especially as someone with low vision. Um, her first ACB national convention was in Tulsa and she has missed just a few ever since. She started a St. Louis special interest affiliate um, for CCLVI called the Gateway City Council. And that sort of fizzled because of, you know, lacking membership, people not as energetic as, as Robin. Um, 
She served multiple times as a corresponding secretary for the United Workers of the Blind, um, and she was a board member. She has done several things related to transportation, including bringing an FTA representative to, um, to UWB in the early 2000s and to speak to everyone and educate them on paratransit and transit regulations. She also served on the ACB Transportation Committee. She served on, um, on a defunct Metro Access Advisory Group. And as she's the current ADA Advisory Group, she's on that as well as the Regional Transportation Disability Network, along with being a leader in the um, SMART, it's, it's an acronym, S-M-A-R-T, St. Louis Alliance for um, reliable transportation. Um, that's a coalition. And she's also on the St. Louis Transit Accessibility Institute. Um, or maybe it's with them. <laughs> Not doing too well with this. Her resume is so extensive. Um, she goes to conferences all the time and keeps her ear to the ground on any, any group she can get involved in to help promote our needs as blind people and people with disabilities. Um, she um, was is part of the MoDOT Community Focused Transportation Planning Committee. Um, she's also worked hard to get more groups active um, in the fight for better transportation in St. Louis, where they're taking a lot of their rights away. Um, she's done so much. Uh, I just really think that I will stop right now and introduce Robin, give her the floor and take it away, Robin. And you've got some time to, um, you know, lay out some of the things you've done. And then everybody who is participating, listening, you'll have a chance to ask questions. And our real goal here is to get people to be inspired by the work affiliates have done, and you'll hopefully feel a little bit more like getting out there and doing it because with all of us working together is the only way we're gonna make progress. And even though it's slow and hard, it's really the only choice we have. So thanks for coming, Robin, and the floor is yours. All right, thank you, Sheila. And all I can say is you make me sound a lot better than I am. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, hi, everybody. Just to give you a little bit of background, although Sheila did a pretty good job of giving you a background. Um, I actually was on the MSCB, Missouri Council Transportation Committee once before, and it didn't really go a lot of places and it kind of was defunct after a while. And I was asked in November of 22 to get involved again. And Part of me probably regrets it because I had no idea what I was in for. Um, but um, something that Sheila alluded to is why transportation became so important to me. I had worked at the Lighthouse for the Blind in St. Louis for a while. I knew that I could do more than that. I worked really hard to go get my dream job at Transworld Airlines. And what happened to me was that I lived in St. Louis County. It was quite a ways from the downtown office where I had to go to TWA to work as a reservation agent. And basically paratransit 
denied my ride because it was too many miles. So what that made me do is it made me start fighting really hard for a job that I loved. And I ended up, I was in that job for a while, but I went through all the things that you go through. I filed an FTA complaint. I didn't know as much about the laws then. So I didn't know what was a violation and what was not. So I cited some things that you can't really cite, like safety issues, which as the gentleman from the FTA once told me, you're entitled to the same unsafe service as everyone else. And so I fought the battle for a while. And basically what happened was eventually I went through a lot of different things. I filed a complaint. There were complaints from other people in the St. Louis area with different disabilities. I had reporters follow me to work. I did everything I possibly could do. And I ended up leaving. I took another job, which I'm going to tell you, that was really my dream job. I always wanted to work and travel. And so I took another job with a gentleman who read my story in the paper, and I was there for a while working as a receptionist. It was for an aircraft finance company, definitely not my thing. And I stayed there for a while, and eventually I was able to find a job closer to home. But one of the things I did after that battle was I started educating myself. I ordered all the FTA regulations. I got the big giant book. I read everything I could read. I did everything I could to educate myself for the future. I got involved with the um, Metro Advisory Access Group which originally was supposed to be just agencies and then they kind of expanded it a little bit. And I started being a voice for a lot of people because I realized that I wasn't the only one having this problem. And it became really near and dear to my heart and I started working really hard on it. And after that, one of the things that Sheila didn't mention I was also instrumental in getting Uber and Lyft here to St. Louis because we were one of the, we were the second to the last major city to get ride shares. And that involved working with a group of people and actually lending my name to a lawsuit against Uber to, or against the um, taxi commission to get Uber and Lyft here. And while they have problems, and I, I definitely acknowledge that there's a lot that's still going on with them. They were a better option than we ever had before. And so I've always worked really hard to fight for good transportation, good transportation options. I think the other reason it's really important to me, and I was explaining this to someone the other day, I grew up with um, my family, nobody really drove. I had an aunt who drove, but she only drove in the immediate neighborhood. She didn't drive highways. And so other than going on buses, my um, ability to get places was pretty limited. So I was riding buses from the time I was a little kid. But I will tell you that paratransit actually opened a bigger world for me. And because of that, I don't like to see anybody's world limited. I like to see everybody have options. And so I've I've stuck to that. I'm transportation is my my particular uh, interest that I work really hard at. 
I really, when I first took the um, transportation committee job, I did not realize that in March of this past year, they were going to cut our paratransit service significantly. They cut out a lot of St. Louis is kind of an interesting city in that the city is a city to itself. And then you have St. Louis County, but we all say we're from St. Louis, but we're not exactly. And they took the buses away from North, uh, part of South County and part of West County, which of course, based on FTA regulations, took away paratransit because they cut back during the pandemic they had left the bus service and the paratransit service there, even though they cut routes just because they were trying to help people out. Well, in March, they decided that they were going to go ahead and cut the service. Unfortunately, they didn't give us a lot of notice. They announced on April or February 28th, they told the Regional Transportation um, Disability Network which at the time MCB was not a part of, that they were going to cut it April the 10th on, or I'm sorry, March 10th. And so anyway, we didn't have a lot of time after that. And they called a meeting. I think it was like, I'm sorry, it was April 10th. They called a meeting the beginning of March. It was a town hall meeting where we could go and basically they told us what we were going what was going to happen. We all tried to stand up. We tried to say no, please don't cut the service. Please give us time, look at other options before you do this. They weren't going to listen. And so we started out slow. Um one of the first things we did, I went to that meeting and I read a statement that basically said, we are asking you as part of the community to please take a step back, look at other options, see what you can do. This is truly going to hurt a lot of people. After that, we went to our step two, because I wanted to do this in the correct order. I wanted to give them every chance to do what they would do for us. I didn't want to just come in and fight with them. The idea is to try to be a team. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. The next thing I did is I started writing letters and we wrote a letter to the manager of St. Louis Colorado. I took that letter. I took it to the St. Louis Society for the Blind. I took it to the local NFB chapter. I took it to every group that I could find, SASE, Sight and Sound Impaired, every affiliate that I could find in St. Louis to get people to sign this letter. Once that letter was signed, I made copies and we sent that to Metro Transit. And we got a nice response back from the general manager, which basically said, well, we're still going to do it. So at that point, we decided, I decided we had to do more. The next thing I did, I had heard that there was a group through the Independent Living Center here that was meeting on Thursdays evenings on Zoom. And so I reached out to them and I'm going to tell you, I'm not necessarily a fan of the local um, independent, uh, independent center here. Um, I had some bad experiences for Paraquad back in the early 80s. 
And so it took a little, you know, so I went a little pride to go to them and say, hey, will you work with me? And luckily, they had a really wonderful woman named Jeanette Oxford, who's a former state rep. And um, she was their head of public policy. And I teamed up with her. And I had things that she didn't have. And she had things that I didn't have, which worked out really great. I had all the FTA regulations. I knew the things that they were violating because at this point, our paratransit, it wasn't just a matter of the three-fourths of a mile from a fixed route. Our paratransit service still to this day has a very significant denial rate. They still to this day do not take next day service call, calls for next day reservations. Typically, you have to call three to five days in advance, and you better be on the phone at 730 in the morning. So um, I gave her the list of the things that we knew they were violating, and together we formed a coalition, which is now called SMART. As Sheila said, the St. Louis um, Metropolitan Alliance for Reliable Transportation and the reason we were able to do that, we wanted as many voices as we could get into the fight. So we started inviting more people. We have members of, let's see, we've had people from uh, Citizens for Modern Transit come to our meetings. We've had a city alderman come to our meetings. We have had, we have members of the NFB chapter here come to the meetings. And we started doing a lot more. The first complaint we filed was the FTA complaint, which had nine co-signers on it. And after we did that complaint, we kept fighting and getting more people involved, including the United Church of Christ. And in, um, let's see, I think it was about a month later, we filed a civil rights complaint with the Department of Justice. And we had 11 different organizations sign on to that complaint. So we started really working together and forming that coalition, meeting every Thursday, doing different things. In the meantime, it was actually through Metro Transit that we heard about um, CTAA and transportation, which is Community Transportation Association of America. And they had a a seminar called Transportation for All that was being held in Oklahoma City. And so one of the girls from the St. Louis Society of the Blind ended up being the organizer of us going to that. We had to apply and we had to get approved. They took eight different, eight different groups were allowed to go to that. We had, I went representing consumers. We had someone representing seniors. We had someone representing caregivers. We had eight people in total that went to Oklahoma City for a one-day seminar where we learned a lot of new and interesting things, which is where the um, St. Louis Transportation Institute came from out of that. And I'll get a little more into that in just a moment. But that was our next thing that we started working on. It was very informative. They taught us a lot of stuff. And one of the things that we're really pushing for now a few of the things that we're pushing through SMART and also through what we learned from Transportation for All is what we're really hoping for 
is to not necessarily have the regional transportation disability network being what it is now, which is basically checking a box, but to become a steering committee. And we want it to be nothing about us without us. We want to be a part of the planning in anything in the future that is done so that we can work with them. Um, a couple of the demands that we have given, and this is basically through SMART, but we're connected. All of these groups are connected, which I know is going to get really confusing. Um, we started asking for more transparency with the Metro board meetings. One of the things that we fought for a long time now is that our particular transit agency does not hold open public hearings. What they do is they are virtual. You can watch them on Facebook or you can actually watch them on YouTube and submit public comments through a form that has to be into them by 7.30 day of the meeting, which we do not think is really appropriate, meaningful engagement. We fought with them. And at one point, we were given a one-hour meeting with a couple of members of the Board of Commissioners, which was just the um, chair and vice chair. They limited us. We had asked for a one-hour meeting in person. What we got was a one-hour meeting on Zoom. We were allowed to have 10 people speak for three minutes. And the first half of the meeting was just them reiterating what they had already told us in March. And so now we've gone and we've asked again, and we've said, no, we want something better. Um, one of the recent letters we sent to them was, since you hold these Board of Commissioner meetings on Zoom, why is there not a time for public comment? So a couple of things that we are pushing for now are we are pushing for someone with a disability to be on the Board of Commissioners. We are asking for in-person meetings. We are asking them and pushing them to bring in a consultant because they obviously don't know what they're doing. And I'm sorry to say that. One of the ongoing problems we have with our, our transportation is they keep talking about the um, pandemic and the labor shortage. But there's another issue that's going on. I just watched their operations meeting. And they said that for every, for the drivers that they hire, even though they're actually now offering a $5,000 hiring bonus, they said 61% of bus, percent of bus drivers quit before the first bonus check and 78% of caller ride drivers quit before the first bonus check. So we know that it is a systemic problem within the organization. So we're working really hard to get them to see that and to understand that. A couple of ways we've done that. We have done a ton of interviews. We've talked, we've done radio shows. There's actually a really good um, podcast on St. Louis on the Air that was just broadcast where we had different members of SMART talk to the reporter about what was going on. We have done numerous letters to the editor we have done, I've done two op-ed articles. Um, let me see what else. We have also done interviews on radio and TV. And we will basically talk to anyone. We started a Facebook group called St. Louis Colorado Users, but it wasn't getting enough attention or enough membership. 
So we decided to take that particular group and in that group and do a new group called SMART. And that is a public group where anyone can come on and talk. And we're looking for people that are not just people with disabilities, but for family members, organizations, anybody that's interested in transit. And the reason we didn't keep the original group is because some people in the original group, because it was a private group, told some pretty private stories that they may not have wanted to get out. So what we decided to do was to start the new smart group on Facebook, keep it public, and also give the people the operate uh, option of hosting anonymously, if that's what they preferred to do. That is a way so that we can get more of the story out. Because one of the things that I kind of noticed, um, last week, our transit system was had a cyber attack. And unfortunately, the buses ran, but paratransit did not run because they had no contingency plans. And I started looking at the comments from the public. And what I started seeing was that a lot of people said, well, the buses have lifts. So what's the big deal? Get on a bus. Not understanding that there's a lot more to riding a bus and simply physically being able to get on the bus. First of all, a lot of our bus stops have moved as they shrunk the system, they took a lot of bus stops away. So the distance is a lot farther. We have a lot of bus stops in places that aren't accessible or with extremely difficult street crossings that probably aren't too safe, including one I know of that's actually on the shoulder of a road that's not in a very good accessible place. And so um, we had to really you know, think about this. And anyways, I'm looking at these comments and I'm seeing what people were saying. I'm saying that part of our goal to advocate for better paratransit and transit in general is for the public to better understand what's involved for people with disabilities. So does anybody have any questions? Robin, I would like to hop in. This is Sheila and 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 just once again, congratulate you for all of the hard work you've done. And it, it, it sounds so far from what you've been talking about, mostly local and that there, there is an FTA complaint out there. And I'm wondering if you've thought about anything in terms of legal action. Is there anything happening on that front that you can discuss on this call? I can a little bit. We actually have been in contact with a local attorney and we are also working with disability rights advocates. And we have developed a survey that we have published now that DRA helped us develop so that we can get a better idea of what's going on. Because one of the, one of the things that's really hard that I don't think people realize is that we were trying to collect complaints from people and a lot of people will not complain because of fear of retaliation. And I know for a fact, retaliation is very real. I went through it back in the early 2000s when I filed my complaint. I was taken to an address I hadn't lived in in three years. I was no-showed for trips I didn't have. A lot of really bad things happened. And so people are very resistant to sharing that information. And so what we did, DRA helped us actually develop the questionnaire and it will ask people basic questions about, 
whether they use paratransit, whether they use buses, have they had any denials? What was the, how late were their bus, was their bus? Um, do they want their complaint to be shared with the Department of Justice? And we collect all of that, that we can actually share with the attorneys and with DRA. And if people really don't want to be contacted, we don't do it. But this is a way that we can do that and kind of start collecting a little more information. And it's interesting. What I found, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, because I did a similar survey with um, East West Gateway here in St. Louis, which also does a lot with transit and also with public infrastructure. They had done a survey. They asked to get that survey printed and out in Braille and have people fill it out. Well, what we found was that nine times out of 10, people don't fill out surveys. So I literally got on the phone and started calling people. And, you know, we found that that works better. So one of the things that I did in our local community was I said, if you want to fill out this survey that we came up with, you know, please, I will do it for you. I will gladly help you out. If you can't do it, you can call me. And there's always someone in our committee and on SMART that will help anyone do it that wants to do it. Do we have any other raised hands at this point? At this point, there are no raised hands, but always just about when I say that, some start Then they pop up. up. Yeah. People get brave, right? <laughs> I know in Kansas City, we've, we've also had the issue of paratransit officials standing up at meetings and and touting their very successful service numbers. And then, uh, you know, and many of us know it's because people don't want to complain. They're afraid to complain. Um, there are also issues with the formal complaints issue. Yes, uh, formal complaint processes in, in many um, areas here in Kansas City, it's it's you can leave a voice recording, and that that doesn't feel very adequate to most people. And they say we'll get back to you if if we have a question, but but there is no um, you know no automatic response. People don't get back and say we received your complaint. We're looking into it, and that's very discouraging as well when people don't entities don't encourage complaints processes. No, and that's truly one of the things that I've learned is that there's so much fear out there that getting people involved is a lot harder than people realize. And also we have a situation here where our transit system has been cut so much that people have just given up. We have people within um, our organization who are using SSP hours for transportation. We have people here who use home health aids for transportation. And, you know, that's not what those services are there for, but it's what they're having to do. And then one of the things that I struggle with is I keep trying to explain this to people that those are all options now. But the fact is the transit agencies are getting federal money to. When you look to the future, Robin, do you see any bright lights on the horizon? 
Is there anything that's looking like a possible win moving forward in 2024, maybe? Robin, we seem to have lost you. We've lost you. Yeah. Well, there you are. There you are again. (laughs) I'm here. (laughs) Hey, I asked the question and we didn't hear you respond at all following that. So if you did start over. You didn't hear me. Oh, wow. Okay. Sorry about that. We do now. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Now I'm trying to remember the question. Okay. Um, Yeah. Do you, when you, when you look at the future, are you seeing any bright lights? Is anything look like it's turning in a positive direction? Yes and no. Yes and no. Um, I think the most important thing and the biggest bright light is that we have a whole different relationship with the media that has developed now because one of the hard things with our transit agency is they do, in a lot of ways, control the media. And at first, you know, a lot of our concerns were put on the back burner. What really helped us, and it was kind of a blessing and a curse for them, it was a blessing for us, a curse for them, was the cyber attack because last Saturday, they were unable to, um, they didn't have call a ride all day. It was the day of festibility, which is a big disability rights um, festival in St. Louis. And a lot of people couldn't get there and they couldn't communicate with any of the riders. And so basically it was word of mouth until the transit agency started reaching out to all of us in SMART and asking us to share with people that they weren't able to pick up. Then on Tuesday, this happened again. And so all of a sudden, the media that hadn't paid as much attention to us started really paying attention, which has put a lot of pressure on the transit agency. And we've started to see a slight change. There are a few board of commissioner members who truly seem interested, a lot not. I honestly will be perfectly honest with you. I think that most likely it's going to take, it's going to be to the point where until they have new management or bring in consultants, nothing is going to change. But we are not giving up. We are not going away. We're trying to get more voices involved. We're getting more people involved every day. We're getting um, government officials involved. We're now writing to the county council. We're writing to the St. Louis mayor. We're doing everything we can to put that pressure on them right now because this is a really good time for us since they're kind of in the limelight right now, especially because what people are realizing is the buses and the Metrolink were running last week when paratransit was not. And a lot of people really are, this is jeopardizing jobs for some people and medical appointments. It's getting very serious. We do have a hand up. Uh, Umberto? Yes, good Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes. Uh, so my question is, uh, I wonder if um, in some ways, in, in some like ways that, um, uh, is, is there a way that you can like a paratransit agency or like a, a, a county can like subsidize like Uber or Lyft rides for people? Because like, um, let's face it, like I'm, 
you know, I'm I'm anvil and you know my eyes don't work and there are some a lot of bus stops that are so unsafe for for in my city in the per transit. Uh, I echo your concern about the driver shortage. There's a lot of driver shortage in my area for paratransit services. And it's definitely getting a lot of people stressed and burned out, including myself. And I just want to know that what, what are ways that we can like improve or as, as riders, what are ways that we, we can improve that? Because it's definitely stressing. It's definitely can be stressful when your ride isn't showing up like, one hour, two hours past your window, and it's just very awful. Like, what can you do about it? And, and can Lyft and Uber be uh, solutions that you, we can pay with per transit? Okay. Um, to answer that question, one of the things that we have suggested to the transit agency here, and that was in our very first letter, was partnering with ride shares to take to use them for the people who did not need the lifts and thus freeing up the wheelchair accessible vans for those who need them. Now, our transit agency says, well, we can't do that because it's not fair and you would get, you would get on-demand service and the people in wheelchairs would not. Interesting um, caveat to that is our transit agency did partner with a service called VIA. And those VIA does have uh, wheelchair accessible vehicles here. And if you live in a very small zone, which is a zone that they cut the buses out of, yes, you can use VIA, even if you're in a wheelchair and you have on-demand service. So it's kind of funny that it's okay to do that under those circumstances, but not under other circumstances. But that is an option that some transit agencies have used. Um, some places do voucher programs where they will give you vouchers. Um, the two companies that um, also do sort of on-demand paratransit and similar things to what you're talking about would be VIA and Userve. VIA here, like I said, is in a very small area. We have pushed our transit agency to expand it. Unfortunately, VIA does not have the infrastructure right now to really expand because what I've heard, the little area that they have expanded, the, the service has gotten a lot worse. And so that is something what you're talking about, Umberto, I have been pushing for for years because our transit agency is very, very, very reluctant to actually partnering with anyone else. I know that there are some grants out there that help with things like this. Um, 5310 grants will actually help with voucher programs. Um, one of the other cultural things that we're fighting with with our transit agency is that what they're really wanting us to do is they are wanting organizations like Paraquad or the Lighthouse for the Blind or the Sheltered Workshops to get vans through 5310 pick up their employees, take them to work and take the pressure off of them. But we're fighting that because the problem is that not everyone works in supported employment. And that is literally, we take a whole bunch of people out. Plus those 5310 grants don't last forever. But, um, and they are getting this federal money and this is something they're supposed to be providing. And we will keep fighting for that. But 
it is possible to use to work with Uber and Lyft, Sheila. I know Kansas City does some things, don't they? We um, in Kansas City, and I have to say it is all thanks to he's gone now, but we had um, a CEO for KCATA who happened to go blind. So as you can imagine, or maybe not, you know, just as in the Senate many years ago, when when the first um, child of a senator contracted AIDS, you know, the political climate began to change. So, yes, we um, had pretty innovative things going on here in Kansas City um, with um with being able to get same demand, uh, on demand, same day service with taxi companies, not necessarily Uber and Lyft, but we partnered with cab companies. We do it with Z Trip here. And the way it works in Kansas City is that, that there is an app similar to an Uber app, not not exactly the same, not quite as as well formed, but I can book a ride. Um, through the paratransit uh, company that is for a same day service through Z Trip, and it costs five dollars for the first four miles, and then after that, it's two dollars a mile. So, very often, in actuality, by the time you get up to seven or eight miles, I might get a cheaper Lyft and Uber ride. So, I am in the habit of opening up several apps on my phone and, you know, kind of doing a little price shopping and getting getting the best deal I can get if a bus doesn't go there, which it often doesn't. We don't have a great bus system here. I am a real bus taker. I like taking the buses. So that's always my first choice. I like to walk with my dog and take the bus, but um, I will price shop. And But that you can't beat that first four miles for $5. That That's a very good deal. And of course, you're not supposed to tip with paratransit, but because it is um, a cab service, um, I do feel, and many others do too, that that I have to, to tip some as well. So, uh, but that has really opened up a lot of opportunities for people here in Kansas City. And I know that it wouldn't have happened had we not had Ra Robbie Mackinnon as um, the CEO of KCATA. Because he would call me when I worked at the Center for Independent Living. He would call me and he'd say, Sheila, this is terrible. What can we do about this? Which would say, well, so this <laughs> you know, is and I'd tell Black. him who to call. And he did it. He, he made it happen. It was very, it if was I could make a comment on you, serve because we use it in Sacramento for our yes. ADA paratransit. And it has really been a helpful component. Um, yes, it has to be done on the same terms so that, you know, we have two days in advance, whether it's, you know, by van or by USERV, and they only allow a limited number of rides for all, all for ambulatory individuals on USERV. But not only has it driven up the on-time percentage um, for those of us who do get to use USERV, but it really helps those um, who cannot use it as well because yes th they do need more um you know paratransit drivers for these transit systems but when you take some of these rides out of that loop and they don't have to fill those rides 
It enables the people who are do, do need to ride on the uh, transit district's vans to get their rides on a more on-time basis as well. So I think it's a win-win for everybody to use these types of services, even though, as I say, you have to do it on the same terms or otherwise it would be discrimination. It would not be fair. Do you have right. a, is there a, a fee for you, sir? Is it, uh, it it's the more? same. It is just part of our ADA paratransit okay. and they, the they same. farm the rides out. Uh, up to 25% of the rides can be done through a USERV. And so the fee is the same. Everything is the same. But one advantage you do have is um, you could have a ride that you may have to leave at 8 o'clock on a van. And they may, if it, if USERV takes it, you may not have to leave till 8.20 or 8.30 because it obviously it's not a shared ride. That's right. what makes the services really nice. And that's something we've been pushing for for a long time. And like I said, our three to five day out is really bad right now. We understand that they have a driver shortage and we've tried to present to our transit agency options. Another option that some transit uh, providers are doing is microtransit, similar to Iris, which I know you have, Sheila, in uh, Kansas City. And there are options out there, but it's really, really hard sometimes to get your transit agency to listen. And one of the things that, um, you know, that's really been hard for us that they've kind of used, they keep saying, well, their denial rate has gone down. Their denial rate has gone down because everybody has stopped riding and that works <laughs> That, that makes it work, but it's not a good thing. And so that was one of the reasons that we started doing the survey with DRA was to find out just how many people have actually given up on the system, because that gives us a better idea of the denial rate. And we think it's important that they look at that. But honestly, on-demand paratransit or, you know, paratransit using different services. And I think everyone here in St. Louis would gladly pay a couple of extra dollars just to have rides that could get them a little bit, you know, and get them to where they needed to go and maybe not be ridden around on the van for hours on end. Or we've had a lot of people now that are late to work. We have people that We've actually had sheltered shop owners who have said that they didn't know how much longer they could keep their people employed because quite honestly, they have contracts to fill. And if their employees aren't there, that's a problem. And so, you know, it affects a lot of things. I just want to cut in here for a second and let you know that Chris has his hand up. I've I tried a couple of other times, but anyway, <laughs> go ahead, Chris. Okay, thanks. Um, so a couple of things, um, you know, if, if you're in the audience and you're, you're listening to Robin, you hear somebody that's extremely uh, knowledgeable and experienced and, and dedicated. Um, and that's all great. But you don't have, it doesn't have to, you don't have to ha acquire all that knowledge and information before you start advocacy. You know, everybody starts out not knowing much because that's the way we all learn, right? So I don't want you to take from, from Robin's extensive experience and excellent advocacy the standard that, well, you know, unless I can be that good, there's no point. Um, everybody starts learning stuff, and this is a, a learning curve uh, for advocacy as well as it's a learning curve for, for paratransit. So that's one thing. 
Um, another thing is you'll often hear paratransit agencies say, well, you know, we'd like to do that, but we, we have to comply with the ADA. So recently, the administrator of the Federal Transit Administration sent out a letter uh, <clears throat> to its grantees that basically said, you know, this whole ADA paratransit thing isn't all that equitable because you're not, you're not getting your needs met. And we want you to understand you're not limited to the ADA paratransit regulatory paradigm. You can, you can do more. Um, you can't do less, but you can do more. And I think that's, that's important to understand. Uh, and the last thing I'd say is, um, I found in advocacy that sometimes it's, it's, it's easy to say, it's easy for agencies to say, no, we can't do that. Okay. No is always an easy word to say. But the other question is, if you really wanted to do it, okay, if you really wanted to do it, you know, how would you do it? Because a lot of times it's a question of what, what they want to do, not what they can do. And it's important to make um, that distinction. The other thing, when they talk about money, money, uh, you know, they always say, well, money is limited. You know, we, we, we don't have enough money to do all the things we'd like to do. But really, the deal with money is that's really about priorities. In other words, any entity uh, will find the money to do the things that they've said are the number one priority. So when I was living in Minneapolis and the <coughs> bridge over the, the river um, collapsed, this is a bridge over um, the Mississippi River, um, they built a new bridge in less than a year. And they spent $650 million on it. Now, true, a lot of that was federal money, but the point is, you know, it was a priority. They couldn't have people not being able to cross the river. And so they got it done. So if somebody says we don't have enough money, that what that really means is your desire or your needs aren't a high enough priority. And it's important to, to reframe the money issue as a priority issue and try to get them to change their priorities. And I'll stop. But thanks for an excellent presentation, Robin. Oh, you're more than welcome. And you bring up a couple of really important things, Chris. Interestingly enough, our paratransit agency, our transit agency in general, has repeatedly said it's not the money. They have more money than they ever had. So our goal is to make them use that money in the right way. Now, right, right now, they've used it. The, the CEO, honestly, is one of those people who thinks that we just keep shrinking the system to save money. So it's caused a lot of problems. Um, they've cut back to one car Metrolink trains. They um, now, which is a problem for a lot of people, they've cut our bus service quite a bit. And then they're coming back at us and saying that they have plenty of money. And they actually run the loop trolley, which is kind of an interesting thing that pretty much goes nowhere and nobody rides, but they they took it over because it had federal funds and they didn't want to have to pay back those funds. So it is a priority issue. A um, couple other things I wanted to say, a couple of other things. And, you know, I am the statewide transportation chair. So one of my other goals, which I got done is we now on our MCB webpage have a list of transportation 
for all over the state. I did a lot of work collecting, got some from our other committee members, um, including Sheila, uh, that I could put into the state website where people from all across the state can go and look at, at transportation options. And the other thing I was going to say that comment on that Chris said, and this is very true, you don't have to know a lot to be an advocate. You learn a lot along the way. I learn new things every day. There's a lot that JMO with Paraquad has taught me. There's a lot I've taught her. So you can start out knowing nothing. When I filed my first FTA complaint, I knew absolutely nothing. If I had it to do again, I would do it a lot differently. And I probably, to be honest with you, would have had a much better chance of winning that complaint than I now than I did then. But you have to start somewhere. And honestly, this is what I believe. If something really means something to you, you will do what you have to do. And there will always be out there people who will fight with you. You just have to be vocal enough to speak up and say something. And you will find the people that work with you the best. Do we have any other hands? We do not. Well, I'm glad you mentioned your list of transportation resources throughout the state. I had that question a little while ago and it flew out of my mind. And so I'm glad you remembered it because <laughs> I thought that was something really important to uh, share with um, those of you who are on the call. Um, I know that we've tried to organize uh, things like that in Kansas City and the better the internet has gotten, the easier it has has become to, to do a Google search and find what you need. But it's always really helpful when you can find a lot of resources all gathered together in one place. So that might be something that everyone in various states around the country can, can try to um, organize on the local level. You know, what is there in Connecticut? You know, start with the cities, then reach out to your rural districts and see you know, there, there may be just a little group of five or six volunteers who really do help, you know, 10 or 12 people every month in a small community. And that's important information for people to know if they're thinking about where to move, um, for instance. Sheila, you're just under the five minute mark. Okay. Um, Robin, do you have anything else you would like to say? Can you, can you rack your brain? <laughs> I think I said a lot. I just you have say, said a lot. You know, it. I honestly like what I do. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. It's a lot of work since I started doing the transportation committee, and I'm lucky that I'm retired now and I have some time to do this. Because at the first start of this, I was spending probably four hours a day on this, just looking and finding and making phone calls and doing other things. And I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it. And honestly, the more you get into it, when you start, those little wins do matter. And you actually make some incredible connections that you can use for other things later on. I've got a complete list of all the reporters that I've talked to, all the um, connections with radio and TV stations that I've kept so that down the road, if there's another issue, we have that information. But I, I really remember appreciate who you, you all to. inviting me. Well, I go ahead, Sheila. Well, I, I was like, you were done. 
I don't yeah, want to step on your toes. Well, no, no, you're good. You have provided a wealth of information and a lot of um, inspiration tonight for people who have joined this call. And I would like to just um, sort of emphasize what Chris Bell said. Don't be cowed by somebody's expertise talking on a radio show or a Zoom call. You can do it. If you have a question, if you have a problem, nothing will get done about it unless you ask. Um, you know, I remember one of the apps, I've been responsible for a lot of APS here in Kansas City. And there was one on the way to my gym that I got. And I, I wrote a letter and I said, look, the little cross street, there's no traffic. This other street, I can't really tell. There was a light, but no APS. And I said, you know, it's just a matter of time until I'm walking home from the gym after dark. And, you know, maybe, maybe that will be my time. And, you know, it was kind of a lowbrow approach. It was sort of whiny. It wasn't very professional or articulate. But guess what? We got an APS at that corner. So um, don't be afraid to ask, you know, share who you are, share your true stories. When I first started um, advocating um, about transportation, I got involved with a great group here in Kansas City. And I remember standing up at a meeting saying, you know, this is so important. I think for every dollar you spend on roads and bridges, you need to spend an equal amount of money on public transportation and paratransit. And I'm sure there were some men in their business suits who were snickering at me. But, you know, it's a really important thought, you know, that we as people with disabilities deserve, you know, to be included in the system and to get our fair share which we do not at all. So please, all of you who are here tonight, go out there and advocate. Don't be afraid. Do some good work in your communities. And at this time, I'd love to thank our Zoom hosts, ACB Radio. I'd like to thank Clubhouse and my committee members. And most of all, Robin Wallen for being our very first guest on Adventures in Affiliate Advocacy. Thank you all very much for joining us tonight.